Hey, Garrett, welcome back. Yeah, hey, good to be here again. <laughs> the um, most important question today for me, I uh, thought about our conversation last time, is um, do you like Star Wars or Star Trek more? Star Wars. Star Wars, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Clear answer. <laughs> Clear answer, okay. Actually, the last time uh, we discussed the Java FX and Swing, and you said, okay, this Java FX and Swing doesn't work at all, and you forgot how it works, actually, and this is why you focused on server-side uh, Java, because you know the entire Java frontend is a lost battle, and uh, you don't care anymore, right? You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, regarding Java FX and Swing, um, I think it could actually come back a bit, right? Yeah, I, probably. I mean, it is. it never was really gone. So I, I think I mentioned that last time. Um, because I worked for a couple of years in consultancy and um, it was mainly desktop Java. Uh -huh. And it's used widely. So it's just not visible to the public. It's used in big companies, insurance companies, banks or industries. They use it internally because it's so easy to, to use. For, for internal applications, sometimes really big ones. And sometimes even not allowed to use a browser application. So they just need to do something on that machine. So native, uh, more or less native stuff. And uh, you will find it quite often in, in big companies. I was surprised. I did a session about that a couple of years back, like um, not dead yet Java on desktop, because I was surprised myself how um, widespread is still used. No, I mean uh, this is this this was always clear that big companies do uh, strange things. But I mean, I mean, uh, if you consider um, Flutter, for instance, stuff like mm -hmm. that, right? This is also native technology, yeah. and uh, it yeah. it is similar to Swing or JavaFX. Basically, they are rendering everything in a canvas. Yeah. Um, so what I mean is, for Java developers, instead of using Flutter, we could actually use JavaFX, and if the pipeline is streamlined, that we ship everything to the to the app stores as well as the desktop. This could act. It could actually take off, right? Because I mean, the, the, for Java developer, it's a way easier, you know, to create Java VIX or Swing than playing with Flutter. I mean, Flutter is really nice, and I like Dart, but the entire installation process is crazy. You know, this is like you have to download several gigs of uh, something, right? Yeah. So yeah, but you you mentioned Flutter. I don't. I didn't get the whole sentence. So uh, you just said it's. So I mean, the, the Flutter uh, it is um, implemented in Dart, so uh, it is actually uh, a nice user um, developer experience. But the problem is the entire installation is not easy and. Um, And, and, you know, for Java developers, if you have a modern Java, Java 21, it could be actually really nice to create uh, Java with Swing or JavaFX, you know, I with totally the listeners, listeners as lambdas and use modern Java and then use uh, GraalVM similar technology. It could be JLink, JMod or whatever to, to create a nice image and then ship it to the app stores, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you can do. I think the problem is more um, that it has this negative image. Exactly. To Java developers. I don't know where that came from. Maybe from the past where it was not not very fast or whatever. But it's I, I can tell you why. Okay. Uh Swing uh first, right? The Swing, there were lots of developers who create no pink swing uh, uh UIs with golden buttons, right? This was uh, <laughs> I was one of them. <laughs> then the next problem was uh, then then Swing was you know uh, the entire time uh, told to be slow, sluggish and not uh native, which was also not which is also not true, but Yeah, this is how this the perception is, and then JavaFX script started, right? Oh, yeah. And people and people thought, you know, JavaFX script, uh, uh, why Sun creates a new language? If there is Groovy, there was entire discussion about that, but it, it died after one year, and now we have pure Java. But people forgot about the positive things, and they still yeah. you know think about the 
the uh, legacy and, and 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 old stuff is the same like Java E. They think they're slow because uh, WebSphere was ten years ago slow, right? So this is WebSphere <laughs> yeah, Classic. Right. This is exactly the same the same yeah. idea. And um, and what I was wrong a bit because I thought, okay, if Oracle is no more behind JavaVix, then it should die. This was my uh, my personal opinion because what I always was afraid about is the uh, you know the the cost of porting JavaVix to ARM. So what yeah. I saw ARM on the horizon, and uh, and I said, okay, now if there's an Intel, I think it is it is impossible to a small company to uh, port migrate the JavaFix runtime to uh, different platforms. Mm. And I was proven what I absolutely forgot, you know, uh, is Johan Foss because what Johan did, he already ported Java to Linux, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, and 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 I completely underestimated, you know, his capabilities, and uh, and uh, I was. Proof wrong. So actually, a small company can port Java, and and for years he maintains and and patches JavaFix, which is great. It's still a small company, but it works, right? So, um, yeah, and I would say from strategic perspective, I would actually rely more on Johan Foss company than than Google, right? Because Google was not really yeah. <laughs> yeah. totally uh, predictable. You know what survives and what not. So, <clears throat> so from from this perspective. If you forget, you know the JavaFX and you know terrible swing UIs uh, twenty years ago and whatever, uh, it could work. And what you proved proven with uh, Series and, and IntelliJ with IntelliJ and the other API swing looks great, is really fast. And actually, IntelliJ indirectly by WebStorm and DataGrip and the, the uh, how it's called the Python uh, environment PyCharm, right? PyCharm exactly uh, exactly is used by non-Java developers. I never heard any complaints that IntelliJ is slow. Actually, yeah. and 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 um, I used um, IntelliJ. I used less, but what I did is I started NetBeans once again, right? Mm -hmm. And what I surprised how responsive NetBeans is and how fast it is comparing to Visual Studio Code. So mm -hmm. I use Visual oh, Studio yeah. Code all the time. No, if I if I it is it is actually slow. And if I I launched NetBeans and everything was immediate and this was swing right mm. so so this is interesting right because uh, right now um, I use Visual Studio Code because of my laziness but um, <laughs> but uh, I'm surprised how fast swing actually is so I would say I don't know what to do but it actually should take off whether it will different story but uh, not it could right but you know this is exactly the reason why why companies choose uh, swing applications over this electron stuff because it's really fast. It is so. It, it's surprisingly that that it has this image not being fast, but it is yeah. really good. So yeah. that's I think that's the reason why IntelliJ still uses it, right? So mm -hmm. they they could have changed to something different. They're probably big enough, but they don't do because it seems to work quite well. Yeah, this is a uh, exactly like you know it's crazy because um, I started in Java. You know, um, I'm actually wondered why I'm speaking with you at all because you are no late starter with Java one four. Usually, you know, I invite only people with JDK one zero and one one yeah. experience, and you came, you know, uh, one years four. ago. You know, right? <laughs> this is to be honest with Java one four. You started with Java one four, but. Um, if you, um, as what I remember at the beginning, um, I was constantly told Java is slow and we cannot use it in production, but it is slow. So, and then was nothing. And then came the other argument, uh, argumentation. This is, I don't know what they remember on all conferences. Java is incredibly fast, but it is a low level system language. And we should not use Java as a system language. You should use Groovy and Scala instead. It, it yeah. doesn't matter that Scala and Groovy are slower because <laughs> Java is just too fast. <laughs> and and I say okay, this is interesting because I just I do just Java at the beginning. It was slow, now it's too fast, and I do nothing else in Java, right? And and uh, and 
also the clouds, right? So, um, so Java is not cloud native or whatever. And um, I found uh, like uh, you know a paper in Java is number five re- yeah. regarding to um, uh, energy efficiency and performance. It is like C, C++, Ada, Rust, and then yeah. Java, and Go, Ruby, and everyone else. You know, every pro- uh, is this uh, as a uh, Python is thirty-five times versus yeah. in Java. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and uh, this is a crazy, crazy argumentation all the time. And Swing was the same, right? I, constantly, <laughs> it is sluggish, and we have to use SWT on whatever. And and, and now uh, it is like the secret weapon. Yeah, we use Swing if it has to be fast, <laughs> and if it can be crap, then we use no electron or whatever, right? So this is like. <laughs> And people are surprised when you say to them, to them "Oh, this is basically a Java swing." And then, yeah, really, wow. Yeah, so, how to learn it, right? So. Yeah. And to be honest, I was thinking about going back to swing because now, because this still comes with the JDK. I really like that. So this is what I never liked with JavaFX. You have to do an additional installation, exactly. or you exactly. have to come bundled with it. That is a little bit of a hurdle. So Swing is nice because it comes with a JDK. That's that's pretty nice. So I also have you know the short series on YouTube, and I also thought you know maybe you should start a little bit with Windows because uh, I mean, new Windows is a window you know open a JFrame mm-hmm. because um, sometimes we need a small utility, right? I do yeah. CLI a lot, but sometimes it'd be nice nice to have uh, two buttons in a in a select box or something like this, and and, yeah. and for that this is crazy fast. So f- uh, for 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 utilities, so um, yeah, this in- it has a future. So I'm still. Promising, it, it will be there even in in fifteen years from now. Exactly, it's not that like no uh, Oracle or it's impossible anymore. And then now Azul, it's not like you no know, they don't mark you know the swing as optional whatever module. But yeah. I think yeah. now we have Azul and we have the others, right? Okay, now um, just recap your transition from the you know beautiful colorful swing world <laughs> to black and white Azul backend <laughs> stuff. So. Uh, Martin Ritter ask uh, no, Martin uh, Simon Ritter ask you right about um, about Azul. Um, no, it was uh, actually Gertjan Gertjan, exactly. He mm-hmm. he pinged me and asked me because they have been looking for someone. But Simon was there already, so okay. I knew because we worked at Oracle together. He was my manager at Oracle mm-hmm. in the Java evangelism team, and then he left Oracle and moved to Azul, mm-hmm. and I left Oracle half a year later, and then went to Karakun or Canoe at that time. Mm-hmm. And then I was working there for some years, and then uh, Kjatjan asked me. And I knew Kjatjan was there, Simon was there, which is not just a colleague, is a really friend of mine. So and I was, yes, I absolutely would love to go to Azul. But Kjatjan is a bit crazy, right? This is now absolutely about Azul. He's like, you know, now he's always, as a NetBeans, he was completely into NetBeans and now uh, completely into Azul. So he's like, you know... He is yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah, 100%, 110%, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, right. He would like to make now the Fujay and Azul absolutely uh, yeah, yeah, successful. Yeah, Fujay, <laughs> exactly. Friends of OpenJDK, right? Exactly. So, okay, so what was, how you started with Azul? What is your first impression? So, um, what's also always interesting, what you did the very first week at Azul? The very first week, I was reading a lot. Uh, ah. Because I, to be honest, when I started, I had an interview with Gil. Teeny, mm-hmm. which is the CTO and one of the founders. And it was a three-hour interview session. And after that, I was like, wow, there's so much stuff that I never heard of, um, which is one of the problems that we still have because we we didn't do good in marketing for around 20 years. So uh, that's the reason why nobody knows us. But Azul did quite some stuff in the Java environment that I wasn't aware of. And um, so I read a lot about the different JVMs uh, that we have. 
and all the features and the history of the company, which is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. People usually don't know that Azul is already existing for more than 20 years now. Yeah, and now I, I, I tell you why I'm dis completely disappointed of Azul. Yes. So, because it was Java 1, I don't know, I think it was probably 2006 or 2007. I have a blog post, but I forgot to look it up. And um, at Java 1, Azul presented the Vega, uh, yes. Vega machines. Vega 1, yeah. Vega 1, and they were like uh, host machines, which were optimized for Java. They look beautiful, and uh, I like such a stuff. Now, I was also impressed by um, the <clears throat> Silicon Graphics machines back then, and Azul yeah. was something similar for the for the backend with custom chips. And what I also heard at Java One, like manager, was completely excited and called Germany. There is a no uh, an, an hardware which runs Java natively. We have to buy it like fifty cores or whatever, and it was incredible back then. It's like the machine had fifty cores, which for that yeah. time was incredible. And this was Vega 1 and Vega, there were multiple Vegas, right? Yeah, in 2008, I think, <clears throat> there was the Vega 3, and that okay. came with 54 cores, mm -hmm. and it was 90 nanometer process, which is today, this is mm -hmm. that's really old stuff. But at that time, it was really high-end things, and it came with 768 or 86 exactly. uh, mm -hmm. uh, gigabytes of RAM. And the heap was able to manage 600-something gigabytes. And at that time, in 2008, that was just amazing that this is even possible to do garbage collection stuff in this huge heap without pauses, right? That that was a very impressive technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know how it happened? I will have to interview someone from Azul. That they yeah, created... it's interesting because um, that I, I can just um, tell you the story that, that I heard from, mm -hmm. from journal people. So it's um, Gil came across the problem with the JVM, right? The garbage mm -hmm. collection process, which, which was and still is the biggest problem, the stop the world garbage collection process. Mm -hmm. And he was thinking about how to solve that. And one day he was he, he solved the problem of doing pauseless garbage collection concurrently all the time during your application is running. So he solved that. And then they figured out that they need to do because if you do garbage collection at the same time where your application runs, then this drags down performance a little bit. You need CPU to do that, right? So they implemented everything in hardware, or, or let's say they they built hardware to support that garbage collection process better because the other founder came from um, 3DFX. You might remember the Voodoo FX graphics card. Mm -hmm. That was This is the other founder that we oh. have. He, he I, had, I had, had the Voodoo card actually in my in yeah my, me too. So yeah. it's Scott Sellers. He was this was the OpenGL. This was one of the first OpenGL cards, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it, it for some time it was the card that you need if you yeah. And the name Voodoo, you know, yeah. alone yeah. the name was cool. Exactly. So yeah, this is the other founder. So and then both of them came to the idea we we have to build our own hardware. So Azul started as a hardware company. Mm -hmm. And then at one point they figured out that that's all good, but you can't keep up with hardware development. It's very yeah. But it was amazing back in time that we were able to 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 fab the the chips. Yeah, it, it was it was produced by TSMC. So th yeah, that, was, that does was, matter, was, but still, this, yeah, because Scott had all these connections and he, he did that at 3DFX, right? That's was his company. Ah. But yeah, so we it was a, a good join with Gil and Scott, and there was a third one. Um, can't remember the name, but three founders. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, so they decided to, to go that route, but at one point figured out, okay, we maybe should switch to software completely, right? So mm -hmm. instead of building hardware, because this is really tough, and then competing with Intel, AMD, and, and ARM and stuff, it, it's just these days not possible anymore. Yeah. 
So then they decided to do software only. And this was where I became disappointed because I was like, <laughs> no, this is, and, and I found the post, the title, title of the blog post is New Hardware for Server-Side Java from December 2006. So yeah. I will put this to the show notes. Mm-hmm. And it was a 48-core Vega CPU. I, yeah. The link doesn't work anymore. And there were um, verified applications, but I was disappointed back then there was no Glassfish because I use Glassfish all the time. Yeah. But um, but this was the second, and I and I saw it again at Java one Java one later, and uh, and, and what I also wrote is that it consumes one thousand watt of power, which is nothing today, right? I mean, this is like okay. and I was like, okay, um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that, that's interesting. So, like I said, the, the the story is quite fascinating to to see that it started as a hardware company. And then went to software and, and then built the, everything in software, which is... Or, this was Zinc, right? This Zinc, was, right. This is the mm-hmm. JVM that we did, which is a, also interesting product because, first of all, we have the C4 garbage collector. Mm-hmm. It's continuously compacting, collecting... Uh, I, can't, I, I don't know, C4. <laughs> Four yeah. C's. That is yeah. concurrent... Com, uh, I'm out. Concurrent <laughs> compacting, maybe... Yeah, com, concurrent compacting... Continuous collector, something like that. This is the, yeah. the name. So, um, and then they implemented that in in Zing, but then it comes with the problem that I already mentioned. If you if you run stuff in software that continuously, in parallel to your application code is doing the garbage collection, then it it really brings down uh, performance because you need some part of the CPU to mm-hmm. do the garbage collection stuff. So what they then figured out to go back to the same performance. We just exchange the compiler within the JVM, right? We take out, you have the execution engine in this in the JVM, which is one part uh, besides memory and class loading subsystems. And in the execution engine, you have the interpreter, and then you have these tiered compilation compilers mm-hmm. like the C1JIT compiler and C2. And the C2 is the, the specific one that does all this um, speculative optimizations and all these things. So this is the one that produces the, the final code that is really fast. So we just took out this compiler and wrote our own compiler that is mm-hmm. based on LLVM. This is a compiler framework, which is... Wow. Uh, yeah, that's that's mainly driven by, I think, Apple, Intel. Exactly. And, uh, so what I wanted to say, the Swift uh, also runs on LLVM. So what you could actually do is you could potentially take it and you know make it Swift compatible or something, right? So uh, yeah, yeah, in principle, it's uh, we, we take that technology. It's really a compa- compiler framework. So you can yeah. build compilers using that. And that's what we did. And at that time, it, it was like, no, you can't use LLVM to create a compiler that's running in the JVM. So and we did that. Mm-hmm. So and this compiler is way faster than the C2 compiler. So it can the, the compiled code can be up to 40, 50% faster, depending on the application. So it's not for, for every application. Mm-hmm. Which applications benefit the most? Uh, Kafka, Cassandra. These mm-hmm. are really, we have very good results there. So it's sometimes just by replacing the JVM, you get up to 45% performance increase just by doing that. Performance or throughput? I mean, you know, like... Uh, this uh, is throughput, yeah. Throughput, okay. this is, Yeah, so it's it's really interesting to see that but this comes with another drawback, right? So you you we solved the problem with the garbage collection and had the problem now we have not the same performance. So we created our own compiler, which is better. Now we get back the same performance. We get a new problem, which is because of this aggressively compilations and optimizations takes a little bit longer to warm up. Means we now we have a problem that the warm up time of your application takes longer. So we created another uh, project, which is called uh, Ready Now. Mm-hmm. That means you have your compiler. And that starts compiling first interpretation for some time. It's, it's method counting and, and uh, loopback edges. 
And then once it gets into C1, you have the same, maybe 5,000 times in JDK 17, and then it goes into the Falcon compiler and does all the compilation, takes some time to get there. Once it's there, it's fast. But you know the JVM doesn't have any memory, right? So it means the next time you start your application, you have to go through the same thing again. And this is that's what people say Java is slow because the startup time isn't the fastest one. So what we did is... First time you start your application and you run through all these optimizations and de-optimizations, we just save all the latest optimization step in, in principle, very easy to speak. It's w- way more complex than that. And then the next time you start your application, instead of going to interpretation and all these things, as soon as a method is called, it will just take it from this file and say, oh, this is the way I should optimize it because that was the best optimization possible. So you don't have to go through all the optimization process, which takes some time. And so we can optimize perfectly fine the first time you do a compilation. So, and this saves all the warm-up time. Right? This so what is, you're doing, you're like pre-training the applications or you're invoking... Yeah, it's all- like a profile of the of the optimizations. And the do you have to run a unit test or whatever in, in order to do so? Or this, you- is not, this, is doing, this is internal. We just save, because the compiler is doing that anyway, we just mm-hmm. save the latest um, of, for each method. In, in an easy speak and then the next time but you still have to compile it right so it's still it, we just save the the try and error thing right so this oh we, i optimize it in this way oh it doesn't work i have to de-optimize oh no exactly I, because the hotspot yeah. what it does it optimizes and de-optimizes because it assumes something and it optimizes exactly. for the assumption but something it sometimes it doesn't work so it have to revert the yeah. optimizations and what you're doing so you're doing this in advance Exactly. So we just we just tell the compiler you don't go that way. If it's if it's this method you use, then compile it like this. This is mm-hmm. the best way to do it, mm-hmm. and that saves a lot of of this uh, deoptimizations. Uh, and how how fast start is then? So what is the improvement? Well, the start is um, in principle you you can get. It's not about the starting time. This is about warm up time, mm-hmm. right? Because just because you you that's a little bit interesting. If you have my crack session, I have people really educate about. JVM startup and JVM warm-up, which are uh-huh. two different things, right? Uh-huh. Startup is, you, you start it, how fast, what's the time to first response? Yes. Doesn't mean this is fast now. This uh-huh. is just the first time your application came back. But once uh-huh. it's running and continuously running and you apply some workload, it gets faster and faster over time. That's the warm-up time. Yes. We save, with Ready Now, we save warm-up because uh-huh. we know exactly this is the fastest stuff we can do. We still have to compile it. And that takes time for the yes. first time, right? But usually, so, the startup is influenced by the. What I surprised you said there are there are actually there are four tiers at least in Hotspot, right? There's interpreted mode, then is the uh, somehow optimized, and then is the uh, highly optimized, and then we have the machine. So there are like four tiers, and you replace all the from two to four with your. Uh, Azul. Yeah, we just we just compile it, and then it's in the code cache. And in the, then after it's compiled and in the code cache, you take it from the code cache. Yeah. This is usually what's happening, right? So um, that's the final destination is the code cache. And then from there, you get all the compiled code directly. Yeah, so what you, you are optimizing, so it means the warm-up, it is warmed up. It means you get peak performance immediately. Yes, exactly. That's the And the startup time is like, you know, uh, something is responding right now, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it takes still some time to compile everything. First time you have to do that, right? So that it doesn't exactly. Mean- but I think you get yeah. still optimization because what I do in serverless is we are de We are uh, we are deactivating the optimizing compiler. Yeah, you just use C one. Yeah, exactly. In order to have a, a fast startup time, right? Yeah. But yeah. in your case, 
what it will mean is I could get the same startup time with peak performance, right? Yes. Because but then the, I could... The startup time, yes. The startup time, yes. It, it, it's probably... So this. with Azul on serverless, I would get peak performance with the same performance without any yeah. negative impact on my current startup time. Yeah, probably, yes. So I never really tested it in serverless. It would be interesting to see how it works there. So, um, yeah. You don't have to test it in serverless because uh, you can have a custom runtime in serverless. So you could just uh, test it on your local machine. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, but... Um, we are speaking. Actually, it doesn't matter a lot. Uh, it only matters on, on, under you know high 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 throughput. This is mm -hmm. where the costs you will see a difference, because yeah. from the user perspective, whether something executes you know twenty milliseconds faster or not doesn't matter. But aggregated costs is a lot because it yeah, can be true. 10, 15 percent you know cost reduction, which is which can be huge. You know, and that, that's the interesting part that people don't really get when I tell them the compiler produces faster code, right? They say, mm -hmm. oh yeah, but I don't need the performance. Well. You don't need the performance, but if you can do the same performance with less CPU, then you can save a lot of money in the cloud. Right? Because yeah. if you run one hundred percent on OpenJDK, and you can do the same with sixty percent of the of the CPU nodes running, for example, Zing or Prime, how we call it now, then you save forty percent of cost. And this is something which is really interesting for. Companies. This is now for for boring cloud loads. For yeah. serverless, is even. Even st step uh, step further because in serverless, what what you what happens is on AWS Lambda, for instance, um, you have to buy the uh, CPU with RAM. Mm -hmm. So you, you, um, if you would like to have one CPU, which is reasonable in Java, I know this is roughly one point eight gig of RAM. So you're mm -hmm. buying one point eight gig, gig of RAM, and this is the fastest and cheapest usually you know option for Java. So now. And now you don't have to save the CPU. You can fully use the CPU, you know, yep. because the more you use it, the, you 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 paid already for the CPU. Yep. But yes. now, the only thing which matters is execute as fast as possible per method. So if you manage to execute fast, you save money. Exactly. This is the entire trick. And um, and if uh, if a method executes ten percent faster, then you save ten percent money. So yep. whether it's twenty milliseconds or one milliseconds, no one cares. And um, and this starts to matter in the last five years. So I would say, no, since Corona. So we have more and more, you know, uh, uh, cloud workloads. And um, what I usually uh, tell on my on my conference talks is that you no know, clouds without cost do not matter because I could just buy, you know, a huge machine, put everything, and I'm done. So uh, <laughs> the the entire uh, architectures yeah. only matter if you consider the costs. If you have endless yeah. budget, who cares you know, about performance? And this exactly. is where it becomes interesting because I'm constantly thinking, okay, startup time once until the AWS uh, Lambda is warm is just user convenience because it happens yeah. only once. If it's warm, now it has to execute fast to save money. Right. And um, and this is why, for instance, we don't use GraalVM a lot because I would say if you know the first startup which mm. is which is maybe annoying, but in enterprise apps, you know, everyone is happy if the application starts at all. You know, I, I mean, this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is everyone already happy if, if after two seconds something happens, and then and then if we can execute fast, we can actually save money, right? Yeah, this is why I'm asking you. So this is a, I would say in in clouds there are three architectures. I would say or two makes only sense from my perspective. Mm. If you are really uh, into costs, I would go either with bare metal. Or with yeah. serverless. Yeah. Running something in containers is like, you know, a lift and shift. I had something on premise. Management would like to run in the cloud. I go to the cloud, but no one knows why. Right? So this, but yeah, if you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if you have high traffic, then go, you know, bare metal. 
EC2 or whatever, because mm. you know what they are doing. And then I would this complete. Then you know, ready now seems like an interesting solution. Startup time doesn't matter because you have enough time to warm up or whatever. Lambda completely different. Uh, throughput, no one interested. I just want CPU, right? So uh, the, the, the scaling model is per CPU. So know that the main difference is on, on Kubernetes, you have multi-threaded application. Loom matters a lot. Bare metal, a lot. In, in Lambda, not at all. Because I have one CPU, one thread. Yeah. You have 1,000 processes, I have, yeah. uh, transactions. I get 1,000 CPUs working for me, right? In parallel. Yeah. So it's a complete different profile and, and com- complete different cost structure. So... Um, and, and this is interesting that I would say what I would expect more tweaking in this area. But if I, you know, uh, if I, if I, if I talk about that, uh, people say, okay, we don't care or no, someone else is, is, uh, is responsible for the budget, but it, but it already changes right now. So it could be a huge oh, opportunity yeah. for, for, for Azul because uh, what I already see for some of my clients, the cloud becomes so expensive. Mm. That they think about, you know, what we can do right now. We, we shouldn't come back, you know. But are we already sold our data center? There is nothing there. So what <laughs> to do? And and you know, I would say just you know, lift and shift, just rent machines and run and hope this won't exactly. work. Yeah, and and we you see that right? Even big companies do that these days, going back from cloud to 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 on prem because it's just yeah for them it's just cheaper. Yeah. And you don't need to have this cloud. Everybody, it, it is this hype driven development again, right? Yeah. So, you have to go to cloud, yay! And then suddenly, oh, damn it, it's really expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know whether you attended my WJX talk. You attended? Uh, no, no. So I saw. Um, so um, uh, uh, um, basically, Raspberry Pi, Postgres and Raspberry Pi, uh, cost will cost you roughly three hundred euros a month. <laughs> so and um, and uh, so if you go to the cloud, you have two reasons to go to the cloud, and sometimes you have to, right? There, there are different reasons to yeah, go, sure. and if you go, you have to be efficient. But yeah. if you have working data center, I would say there is no reason to go to the cloud. No. I, I would be perfect, uh, perfectly happy with my own servers. And then what I could do is I could even optimize further. You no, know? I could use you know flight recorder. I can use tricks from Azul. I'm exactly. less, less 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 restricted. But uh, what I see, you know, they have own data center and they they do exactly nothing. No optimizations. They run container with default settings and completely ignore the fact that that could actually be highly efficient, right? Then they say, we have to go cloud. Okay, they pick the same container running Kubernetes. Now we are cloud native without any optimization that pay 10 times more and everyone is happy. Then after two years, you know, everything becomes too expensive. They come back to data center with the same container. And this is a little bit pity, right? It is. It is. I mean, this is interesting because I see that in the session when I do security and also the one about open JDK distributions, I mentioned that you have a JDK and you have a JRE. And Mm -hmm. since... JDK 11, I think. There's no JRE. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we have Mm J-Link. And then I asked people, who knows J-Link? Maybe two people raised their hands. Mm -hmm. And said, who's using J-Link? Nobody. Mm -hmm. Really, nobody's using J-Link. I was like, people, listen. (laughs) They they take some base image and some people use a JDK inside. Like, this is 340 megabytes just for the JDK to run your service. Not a base image. I do code review right now for microservice applications. Yeah. Every two developers who build their own microservice, they have own base image, you know. Some oh, people nice. pick, you know, from, from Alpine, the other one, you know, UB8 from Quarkus, the others would like to have, you know, whatever. So if you're a company with five microservices, you have probably six different images because uh, there are different versions in, you know, in for, for this, is, this is the truth. And the problem is security, you know, because if you pull yeah. something from open source, you actually have no idea what you are pulling. Right, right. But, but you know what? In my security talk, I asked people and I just said, you download this stuff. Did you ever ask yourself if it's secure? Uh, no. 
not really. <laughs> so people just trust these systems, which is shocking, partly. And even if it were somehow secure, the problem is uh, the clouds uh, perform usually security scanning, right? Yeah. So and if you pull something from open source, I always have the problem that sometimes it stops and says, you know, some hidden library has some some problem and we cannot deploy, which is really annoying. I would say then I would always try you know, to keep the image as lean as possible. Or mm. why I like serverless, there is no image at all. So I just have you know the runtime. But uh, you know, to, to increase the cost, then I can actually push to the to the repository at all, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because usually if you have a big image, you always something is found. You know, like JPEG library is you yeah. don't use it at all, but you cannot push because some hidden dependency has a security exactly. problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people have been surprised when I told them that you, if you run your stuff with a JDK, then it's 340 megabytes. And if you run it with a JRE, it's 150. But if you use JLink, it can be as slow or as small as 30 megabytes. Mm-hmm. Then, wow, what? 30 megabytes for Java? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then, but these people are the people that are complaining Java is so big, it's so slow, but they don't spend the time in really figuring out how to, like you said, I, I just use this stuff because it's convenient. I never really thought about optimizing it, right? But there's so many ways you can do it better. This uh, was, reminds me a story. So um, I know I did back then, you know, EGBs and really like, and I still think it's a good technology. But um, the uh, EGBs in Glassfish, the entire container was, uh, I think it was like 600 kilobyte. So it was the entire <laughs> EGB container. There you go. And, yeah. And um, and I was in a project in um, at the US WebSphere, and they asked me for architecture, and I wanted to have the newest uh, Java, I think it was back then Java 6, and I knew that the WebSphere, we need a new version. Hmm. And I said, okay, then we just download the patch, no problem. So it is uh, 600 kilobyte in Glassfish. <laughs> and they say, no, we cannot do this. Okay, we do it. And... Uh, and it was 1.5 gig for the same. And th- this is why they didn't want it to do this, right? And they downloaded it. So like after five hours, it was back then, it was everything was slow. And it's like, what are you doing? It's like, we downloaded the patch, as you said. I was like, yeah, but my, why it takes so long? Uh, and it's like, it's 1.5 gig. For me, back then, it's like 1.5 gig. I, I suspected it's like a video courses embedded or something. Because for me, it is like, you know, all the applications, of us, the, the EGB containers were tiny. Yeah. And the website classic was 1.5 gig. And I say, what are you downloading? Is the IDE included? I mean, this is Im- impossible <laughs> to, to imagine, right? This is a similar story to now. Yes. This is why I know, for me, this was a different world. Like the website classic, this was like, uh, don't touch it. And it, whatever yeah. you do, you, you need <clears throat> three coffee breaks and a really high bandwidth, <laughs> yeah. you know? And all the other servers were small. This was uh, this reminds me to your, to your talk right, right now, right? Yeah, so yeah, downloading the entire internet and then <laughs> complaining that Java yeah. is, is, is big, right? Exactly. So this is, but, but people have, I was really shocked because I thought yeah, JLink is something that is in the JDK since JDK 9. People mm-hmm. should know it, but they don't even heard about it. It's like, what, what is the tool JLink? I said, oh my God, what's going on? J- and then ask about JMod is with the next question, right? Yeah, exactly. And then they thought, oh, now we don't have a modularized application. I said, no, it's not about your application. It's about the JDK. Mm-hmm. What do you mean the JDK? So, oh, you know, we have a modular JDK. So you have to explain them and educate them about the basics that we think it's the basics, but they, most people don't know that. It's like, yeah. On, just, uh, on, on that note, last, uh, we both were at the WJAX in Munich conference uh, recently, and after, and I showed basically all Java E code, uh, Java E code, not J2E. Not, uh, I mean, 10 years, 15 years, 2011, it was uh, 14 years old code, Right? No, 10, 13, 13 years old code. Um, and, and, and then I push it as an AWS Lambda, more or less. Right? And, mm. and someone came to me after the talk and I say, 
you know, how to learn the modern stuff you do? It's like, what do you mean? This is 14 years old. I mean, this is like, it's like, yeah, but I really like to do this, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, um, my entire GitHub, you know, is everything, you know, that this old code is harder to find. But if you do a little bit, you know, uh, Java 7021, this is what I do. No dependencies. And he was absolutely delighted that actually uh, <laughs> it works that way. So uh, story repeats, right? So this is, yeah. uh, and, and I don't know why. Maybe Stack Overflow or somewhere, People find the templates, and without questioning, uh, somehow the biggest and most bloated thing yeah. survives. And, and someone approached the booth, and I just told him about uh, JVMs and that stuff. And he 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 literally told me that I, I'm not interested in the JVM. It just just should, should just work. I said mm -hmm. yes, but you need to know where you run it on. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't care. Said, you should care. It's there's a difference. And, and then I was really shocked that people. It's, I, I get it that you would like to just do your job and getting things done. That's all good. But this is part of it to me. I mean, this is the, the engine you're running on and you just don't say, I don't care if it's a Porsche or if it's a Trabant. I just... I, but, just, uh, I, I mean, the person was right. Uh, you don't have to care if you build, you know, if you build, uh, I would say, boring software without any additional requirements. True. If no money starts to count... Or you know memory consumption or CPU, you have to care. Yeah, yeah. And, and in these days, I mean, most of the companies run stuff like we already said in the cloud. Or yeah, at least it's not for free. They don't. No, do it but I think a few months ago, I was in a workshop, cloud native workshop, and I also started to you know what we do. Usually, I start in a calculator. Okay, we have you know we can buy these machines, or we can go Kubernetes or Fargate or or whatever. Mm. And 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 they told me just stop because uh, the budget is paid by in another country and we basically can do whatever we like. This was no kidding. And I say, <laughs> I, I, I was speechless because in this particular case, I have to say, this is, uh, I'm really surprised because what we can do right now, because I thought if we just, you know, provision bare metal hardware, then we have to provision more. It's not that easy. If you have un unlimited budget, it's still, yeah. still not that easy because I think, okay, would you like to maintain the machines more or would you like, you know, just to deploy and see what happens? Because then then it's really hard because I thought <laughs> you, could, you could buy a big EC2 machine, but still they will have to maintain it. Or maybe ECF, ECS Fargate is better because just containers and then have to maintain it. So we went the ECS, ECS Fargate route. But uh, I was really surprised. And then I met, you know, the, the actual manager and I say okay it was not meant that way they have some budget but it was not in in this department so okay fine but it still <laughs> happens but it will it stops this is what absolute exceptions but I was speechless I, I for a moment I say okay what do you do right now I, I, I have no answer to this question right so what do we do if we have unlimited budget right yeah this is really a good question <laughs> yeah not not that easy to answer how you will tune Azul when CPU and memory doesn't matter wow this is, this, 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 yeah <laughs> This is not that easy to answer, right? Yeah, probably... yeah because you usually don't yeah. bump into the situation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. that's funny. But, but just to come back to your to your serverless thing and lambdas, right? Because there's another thing that can help here, which is also part of it. it will become part of Zing. Let's let's stick to the name Zing because people know that. But it's Prime now for mm -hmm. whatever reason. Um, there is this thing called Crack, right? We mm -hmm. I mentioned that already. Where you can also, I mean. Amazon has Snapstart, which is basically crack, mm -hmm. but they did a different implementation with using micro JVMs. But in principle, what you do is you start up your JVM once, you create the snapshot or checkpoint, and then you just restore from there. 
And with this, you can even go faster because if you combine that with Prime, then or with, with Zing, with the Ready Now stuff, then that means you can do the best compilation and then you create a snapshot after that's done. And then when you start it up the first time, it's as fast as 30 to 80 milliseconds, like a native executable and already has the most optimized code. So that means you get both of it. Very fast startup first time and keep the continuous high performance directly from the beginning. This would be a killer feature because then you could you you have you know the ready now, you said. This is mainly the yeah. entire and then no use the snapshot to 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 back or to freeze, you know, the optimizations. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then, then you have really memory. like memory in the JVM because the next time you start it just and this is really relying on I.O. It's really loading back stuff from the disk into memory. Mm -hmm. On an SSD, this is this is milliseconds. It's nothing. It's really mm -hmm. fast. Yeah, this is so cool because the bandwidth, uh, the file system on AWS is crazy fast, so you wouldn't even notice. This is uh, yeah. so the the image size doesn't matter at all. Uh, the, yeah, probably uh, this is not the big problem, right? Because yeah, no. it comes, if you save the snapshot, of course you need we have a bigger footprint. I think this is one hundred meg. No one cares. Yeah, and it's it's around that. So I would it, say one hundred megs and uh, lots of small files. There's a problem. Yeah. Like no JS and Python. But if you have one file, one hundred megs, it will be crazy fast. I actually yeah, I think... <clears throat> was on AWS and I downloaded something big, and I thought it's broken because it's like one hundred fifty megs, and it downloaded I don't know in. 10 milliseconds, it was not noticeable. It's like curl, and it was there. It's like, what? Is it? <laughs> yeah. So it's problems with firewall, whatever. So at the bandwidth in, in the cloud yeah. is crazy, actually. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And then for this kind of stuff, it, because people say, yeah, but then I have to load it somewhere from the cluster, maybe, because usually you don't <laughs> put it, you put it somewhere decentralized and then load it from there that you don't have it with each image. And then people say, yeah, but this is really not that fast. And, Believe me, if it's in running in the cloud environment, it is fast. The only problem is, um, if you, um, what I like about uh, serverless is, I if I go to Asia or to AWS, I just say I have Lambda, Lambda with Java 17, and I don't ship Java 17. I just ship the bytecode. Mm -hmm. From this start, if I would use Azul for that, I will have to use so-called custom runtimes. Yeah. What I, right. what, what I thought about, but um, what, um, what uh, AWS also supports is Rust or Go, I think, even mm -hmm. on Swift. Actually, we could write in our Rust wrapper, which <laughs> calls the Azul thing, and then I don't have to have custom runtime. Then I would have an, a native uh, Rust deployment, which is actually Java, right? So this that should work. Yeah. Should work, because the custom runtime, what it does, it is basically the container gives you a stream in and you provide stream out and this, that's all. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, because the, the, the next thing about serverless is security. For instance, what AWS did, they patched, for instance, the lock, uh, lock for shell, you know, security yeah. in yeah. the cloud by a bot. So they did it for you. But if you run your custom runtime, you have to take responsibility for it. But uh, with Azul, if there is a process to do so, you know, this would be also a cool idea because, okay, I, I, I don't pay uh, AWS, I pay Azul and, uh, and it's done. And many of my clients uh, have Azul support contract. So this mm -hmm. would be a possible option, you know, to save money with Azul. And um, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a valid idea. So and even for security scanning, um, we also have, uh, of course, we have something there. It's now what's, <laughs> it, me, what's it, me really interest today is so about Azul. So what is the flagship product? This is the Zinc, which is renamed yeah. to Prime right now. Prime, yeah, this is the flagship product. And this is the is this just OpenJDK or what is it exactly? Yeah, it's, it's based on OpenJDK. Like I said, you take OpenJDK source code, take out the compiler, 
easy. Mm -hmm. We can right, take out the compiler, plug in our own compiler, and we take out the garbage collectors and put in our own garbage collector yeah. because the garbage collector and the compiler work hand in hand. So it's uh, it, it's very much involved in each other. So you can't just do it without the others. And and this is more or less what it is. And then it's still TCK compliant. So, that so if I if I pick the Zulu JDK, yeah. mm -hmm. is it this exactly, or is it just Zulu is? Zulu is OpenJDK. This is a vanilla build of OpenJDK. It, we have some features in it, additional stuff like Which? track or, or uh, Azul vulnerability detection. This is in the JVM, mm -hmm. but it's still it's basically a build of OpenJDK. Yeah, that's Zulu. So if I so if I pick Zulu, I get OpenJDK a little bit better than vanilla OpenJDK, but still OpenJDK, right? It is OpenJDK, absolutely one hundred percent. So there's no difference, and mm -hmm. it, it also passes the TCK and the Aquavit test suite. And it has features that we can enable. So if, if you use the free version, which is free in production yeah. for, forever, then you, you just have basically vanilla plain OpenJDK. Mm -hmm. If you then buy a support contract and you yeah. buy, for example, Azure Vulnerability Detection, then you can enable a switch and then... Okay, which switches are available in OpenJDK? Uh, not in the basic one. This is only in the Zulu build. In the Zulu? Yeah. Yeah. Which which switches are available in uh, Zulu? Just, uh, there's this um, Azure vulnerability detection. Mm -hmm. This is something where, uh, if you know it's security scanning, right? Then user, mm -hmm. usually you have these additional scanners, and they scan either in your repository, in your build system, or even in the IDE. They can even scan containers. What they don't do really good is scanning in production because if you do it in production, you have to use the JVM instrumentation API and then you attach mm -hmm. an agent and then callbacks involved and all that. Let's say you would like to check every class node. If this is a vulnerable class, then you have to add a, a callback to the class loader. And every time the class is loaded, you will get a, a callback from the JVM and that brings down performance, right? Mm -hmm. There are some solutions, but they are always at least 10% um, performance decrease uh -huh. if you run it in production. This is why companies don't do it. And even uh, companies like SonarQ or Sonatype, they have SonarQ. Yeah, but in production, I mean, if you if you already deployed, you can scan once, you don't have to scan the entire time because production is... Well, the production is, is dynamic, right? So it can drag in stuff at runtime. It's theoretically possible to do Yeah, that. with class loaders, what do you mean? Yeah. Oh, okay, so it, but this is yeah, but yeah, and people do that, so it's oh, just okay. um, so it's really like, but you can't really be sure that in production everything's fine. But if you have immutable infrastructure where you just you know ship one image, there's no way to change production and nothing is downloaded, then we don't need it, right? Yeah, then they're not. But yeah, exactly. if you do, then the, and there's one other part of it is what we do is the JVM loads the classes anyway, so that it knows exactly what classes have been loaded. So the big advantage here is that we can tell you, even if you have a transitive dependency on, let's say you drag in a library and this library drags in log4j and with a log4shell issue in it, then usually if you have a CI-CD scanner that says, uh, you, you can't deploy because there's a vulnerable version in there. We can tell you, yes, you have a dependency that is vulnerable, but you never loaded it because the JVM knows if it was loaded or not. So we can tell you, you're still safe. And some products have these problems because they rely on other libraries that have vulnerable dependencies, but they don't use it. And then they have to prove it because otherwise they are not able to do deployment. With this one, you can do, and in production, we can tell you, okay, you never use the code, so you're still safe, but you should update the dependencies. And this, this is the code one, inventory, right? This is, this is the Azure vulnerability detection. The code inventory... That's the, it's basically the same thing, but the way around, because we, when we know what we loaded, we also know what we didn't load. 
So then that means we can tell you in production, you know what? You run that stuff for six months. You never touched this code. It was never loaded. So maybe you can get rid of it, right? So you can save money and time for maintenance of. And this is huge because what we yeah. did in the past uh, for there was um, um, for a bank um, they they, um, they wanted to to migrate an old project to a new environment and they were not sure what is actually worth migrating, right? Which yeah. functionality is used and which was not used. So what we did in production. We set up one node of web logic back then to run code coverage. So yeah. it was it was set up with uh, Jacoco, mm -hmm. which is a little bit dangerous because it could uh, it it consumed a lot of memory. It could break, but because this was one additional node, it was the risk was somehow you know okay. Yeah. And uh, and then we uh, we uh, we loaded the code coverage report, the Jacoco exit to an IDE, and we exactly saw after a while. Uh, what was used was not used. A little bit dangerous mm -hmm. because we could still have, you know, some batch runs yeah. which runs once a month. But we knew that. But uh, this was good enough. So we said, okay, we port uh, first. You know, at least the priorities are good because yeah. we migrated whatever was to migrate and we left uh, the left the, the the black parts. And and you are doing this, you know, out of the box, right? Yeah, this is in the JVM. You you get an additional tool that you have to install in your infrastructure, and uh, but the, the JVM has to talk to someone, right? This is mm -hmm. this tool. But um, in principle, this is coming out of the box and this is supported in both versions. So this is in, in Zing or Prime and also in Zulu, which is mm -hmm. called Core now, but Zulu and Prime. Uh, what's it, what is Zulu called? It's Platform Core and Platform Prime. Platform, okay, Core. But mm -hmm. people know it as Zing and Zulu. So if we No, but for me, it's also interesting because I yeah. talk to customers and know. That I know. Yeah, so it's Core and Prime. So these are the official names where Core is Zulu and Prime is Zing. Mm -hmm. um, and both support both of these features. So it's uh, they have both code inventory and also uh, vulnerability mm -hmm. detection. So uh, what are the so the, the 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 Zulu or core features were the inventory right and yeah. and the uh, security scanning exactly how is called the product security scanning officially no Secu it's it, the shortest AVD which is Azure vulnerability detection okay yeah but this is uh, are these both uh, features or is there more which I can activate if I have Zulu and uh, this um, and you have we have a build with crack but this is more or less uh, what is available in in Zulu. This is the, these are the features. Prime has more. Prime has also um, so-called cloud-native optimizer. No, we we will speak about Prime in a moment. But in Zulu, we have crack. So uh, one question is: is in OpenJDK the hooks are defined, but does OpenJDK actually implement crack, the vanilla no. one? No, no, no. I the, need the a Zulu or I need Coretto. Yes, exactly. Uh, Coretto doesn't have. Coretto has a different build. They have a different version um, of of. It's not crack. It's they just use the same API. Yeah, they, they use uh, Snapstart, but uh, but it's similar technology. Yeah, that, that's true. It's the idea is the same. And Cryo is in uh, in uh, IBM case, right? It's also in our case. We also use Cryo in IBM. In the um, Samaru, it's called Instant On. But Instant the, On. Mm -hmm. It's more or less the same. They now, what, what interests me, but it has to be supported by the JDK or by the JVM. Yes, that's the main idea. So what we did, we... Which, which, you know which JVM support that? At the moment, it's uh, Zulu and uh, I think Bellsoft created a build. And IBM, right? IBM has a different one. This is not really the same. They created the same thing on their own. So it's but similar, but similar technology to crack. So I mean, which, which JVM supports similar technologies to crack? This is the IBM Cryo or whatever, Instant On, you said? IBM's yeah. OpenJDK? Exactly. Then Zulu and, yeah. and uh, AWS indirectly because I think it's only available yeah. on Lambda. I don't think yeah, you can it, use it. It's outside. the same idea. Yeah, exactly. These are the ones that support it. 
And it's what it, how it works is we made it an open JDK project. So like, and this is what people don't really get, right? I say it's an open JDK project doesn't mean it's part of the open JDK. Mm -hmm. This is like Project Jigsaw that was an open JDK project for years before yeah. it became the module system. And so it's the same with Crack. It's an open JDK project. You can find it on the open JDK page. But it, we we will we probably will try to create a JEP and then make it really an official part mm -hmm. of OpenJDK, but this is a process that takes some time. And then every JDK could do it and could imp then it would be part of every build, right? At the moment, it's just uh, with Zulu, mm -hmm. yeah. which is quite interesting because it's not really like, um, it's not a, a, an alpha version or beta version or something or pre-built. This is the official fully supported JDK that comes with Crack support. So you okay. can use yeah. So if a Zulu supports Crack, right? So I yeah, could use Zulu. Use that in production, and if you run into problems, we will support it. So this is. Oh, another question regarding support. So if I download, let's say, the latest Zulu version, mm -hmm. I, I put it to production and run it, and then I would like to have support. Can I just call you, pay pay you the money, as you mean Zulu, uh, um, Azul Systems, uh, pay money and say I would like to to have support for this Zulu GDK, or there is different download because at the at the end, you know. Uh, what happened was some companies, you know, uh, I, I, we run the open source version, and in order to get support, we had to download something different, which was annoying. But we, we could actually start with Zulu and mm -hmm. then pay you, and we get support for Zulu, right? Yes, there's no difference. It's the same version. So cool. you get the free version, and you, if you then decide we need support, you can stick to it. It's the same. Okay. You just get different updates then, mm -hmm. because then you can also get the CPU updates instead of the PSUs. Mm -hmm. so you need yeah, to. this is then business so they can figure yeah. it out. But from 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 the, the there's no need to download a different version. It's the same version. Okay, that's it's, very good. Mm -hmm. It's the same. That's the platform yeah. core. Yeah. Did, have we covered everything? So we covered the crack, we covered the AVD, and we covered the uh, inventory, right? Yeah, that's that's for for platform core. Yeah, for Prime, there's one other thing that we and can... and one uh, for the core. The last thing, if I activate the crack and I uh, decide to do that, there's like a flag. In, in the JVM? No, at the moment you have to download a different version. This is okay. the, the reason is because it is not part of the OpenJDK. Yeah. So we have created a separate version. What's the name version of the different version? Oh, it's just Zulu plus Crack. If you Zulu go plus to Crack, okay. There is, uh, in the downloads, uh, you can mm -hmm. select JDK, JDK plus FX with this mm -hmm. with Java FX, or it comes with Crack. You can. And how I can tell uh, Zulu to, uh, to 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 optimize, or you know, there should be a signal, or how it happens? For doing the checkpoint, you mean? Yeah. Oh. Uh, there's a, you can use J command from the command line to do that, mm -hmm. and then it's uh, it comes with a command where you just say J command either the pit because it's only supported on Linux, mm -hmm. or you can also use the jar and then you say JDK dot checkpoint and then it will create the checkpoint for you. Okay, and then you have to implement this resource interface that will yeah. Uh, yeah. But you, yeah, this is the the idea. Is you can also do it by code. So I think the instant on thing from IBM is only by code. They mm -hmm. can't do it from external. Mm -hmm. And we can also create a checkpoint from the outside. So you can just tell the JVM, create a checkpoint right now. Yeah, uh, outside is more interesting because if you have the CI/CD pipeline, usually you would like right. you know to uh, run it, and then you know some pre-warming or pre-training, so you could run the system tests. Exactly. So, yeah. and, and then you can, yeah, this is uh, from code. The JVM sometimes doesn't know when the training starts and when it stops, right? So Exactly, yeah. Uh -huh. So we're also working on some kind of metrics that you can figure out. Maybe the JVM could figure out when is a good point in time to create a checkpoint because mm -hmm. it loads all the stuff. So it, it maybe knows, uh, you know what? I probably load 80% of all the classes and optimized it. So maybe now is a good time for a checkpoint, but this is not done yet. So this is just work in progress. Mm -hmm. And where are the optimized images stored? 
that's up to you. Okay. So you can um, you can decide where you would like to store it, and that's when you start your application with Crack Support. Then there is something uh, where you, we have a flag minus double x colon and then Crack Checkpoint two, and then you equals and then you put it whatever volume or folder, and then when there is a checkpoint, the JVM will store it in that folder, and then you have a defined folder where you have the checkpoint. When you restore the whole thing, then you just type in Java uh, minus double x uh, colon correct restore from, and then you point it to the folder. If it founds a checkpoint, it will just restore it from there. Mm-hmm. How big so is usually the image? you have that experience? Um, I have some examples. It's, it depends because this is more or less a heap dump. So mm-hmm. what we do is we compact the heap, right? Okay. And like with the garbage collection process, and then the compacted heap will be saved in this checkpoint. Right? This is the, the idea. So it's more or less a heap dump. So it depends. If you have a large heap, the files are bigger. If you just have some microservice thing, then the heap might be maybe 50 to 100 max, something mm-hmm. like that. So it just depends not, on the RAM setting. So Yeah, exactly. So it's not really huge. Um, but like I said, if you run huge heaps, then of course the, the checkpoint will be bigger. Yeah. And what is the performance gain? Oh, this is huge. I mean, uh, if you start a Spring Boot application, for example, a standard one, then it's maybe around four seconds. If you use uh, Crack to to do that, then it's 40 milliseconds to start yeah. the application. This is also my experience, I only have experience with Quarkus on Lambdas, and uh, yeah. it is uh, twice as fast. So yeah, the... it's really fast. So, I mean, um, Spring 6.1 is the next one, and Spring Boot 3.2, if I'm right, they, they will get fully support for Crack. So that means, um, and they, they come with some nice feature um, because I talked to Jürgen Höller from, from the Spring team and he told me what they implemented. The framework takes some time to load. They have something like checkpoint before start, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that means they load the framework first, then they create a checkpoint and then they start your application. That means you as a developer, you don't have to do anything. And that already saves 80% of the startup time. So that means the Spring startup will just by using crack will be 80% faster than before just by and you don't have to touch your code if you won't go further then you can create your own checkpoints for your application and then create a checkpoint later on and restore from there but maybe that's not even needed if the the framework itself is faster but this is always the case because on quarkus on lambda what happens is if you if you deploy with snap start on what happens is this um aws starts the lambda and it boots quarkus actually completely mm-hmm. And then it freezes. So this is the framework is already optimized. And on Lambda, this constraints, what I do is in a static block, I'm, for instance, preloading the uh, AWS SDK, not my code, because, you know, the DynamoDB and the S3 and and all this stuff. This is huge. And then I'm basically done. Uh, The the classes, they don't matter a lot. So sometimes what you can also do... You can load configuration or something which is static. Yeah. It's also a trick, you know. And, and because in Lambda is different, we we work with ugly code like static, you know, to be even more efficient. A bit, mm. um, it is a little bit different. But you are right. Uh, the difference maybe in Lambda that we know when it optimizes, right? Because if you ship it, yeah. the optimization happens for us automatically, and mm. then you know the and then afterwards the, the, the Quarkus is not booting anymore. We just get you know the ready to use application. Exactly. And that's the same with the Spring Boot and Spring Support in the future. So they, they added that. <clears throat> and that will help a lot with, with startup time of Spring applications. How fast Spring Boots without the optimization? Do you have experience? Because I got the question a lot. I have, and I have actually, I don't use Spring. So this is strange, but uh, I use... 
<laughs> I use Quarkus all the time. So Quarkus is crazy fast. But, but people ask me, no, can we do this with Spring Boot? I say, I have no idea because I... Yeah, you can. But it's usually the, the actual versions, if you just use the standard ones, are really four times slower sometimes in startups. So it could be, let's say, if you have a... Mic I use Micronaut a lot, so which is very similar yeah. to Quark. So if you have startup times of one second with Micronaut, for example, then it's four seconds. Oh, then it's not usable. Yeah, so it, it really, and, and like I said, when they use or support crack, that will be faster. So they can go down to the Yeah, same. but with use Micronode with uh, crack is even faster. That's true. <laughs> and and what I mean by that, if it's even faster and Micronode starts in half a second, yeah. what this means then, we don't need native optimization. That's true. I mean, and and, you, and you what you know what happens then is then we can use stock AWS runtime without any fiddling and you get the full support and no additional stage in the pipeline. So this is actually huge. Yeah. And and you 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 stick to the JVM, right? Which yeah. is it's still it, it is fast. This is just fast. I mean it is faster right now, right? Because of yeah. the dynamic optimizations, it is faster right now than Graal. To yeah. my knowledge, it's ten percent. So if it's ten percent faster, it's ten percent cheaper. That's it, exactly. And this is only if you use GraalVM. If you use GraalVM community, because GraalVM is not really free, right? Mm -hmm. Just for three years. Mm -hmm. And then it falls back to the OTN license. And then it might cost you something. So if you use GraalVM Community, which is free, and it stays free, mm -hmm. but this is even slower. This is just maybe 60% of the JVM. So if you use that one, it, it has a fast startup, but then you really don't have the performance. Mm -hmm. And But this is the free version. So you have to, it's not for, performance is not for free. <laughs> no, but uh, with performance, you can save money. And uh, with the money, this is the business decision. You can buy support for Graal Enterprise or Zulu uh, Zinc. Or prime, yeah. yeah, true, cool. So uh, exactly, and 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 this crack which I can never remember is a coordinated restore a checkpoint. I always say resource a check restore a checkpoint crack, <laughs> and uh, in OpenJDK defines basically the three hooks methods. Right, this is before checkpoint after. It's just two. It's just before checkpoint and after restore and after the, restore exactly. Yeah, two exactly, mm -hmm. which is pretty simple. And um, Amazon. They took the same. Mm -hmm. we, we created a library because it's only for Linux, right? Mm -hmm. If you run it on Mac and Windows in, in your IDE, because you don't have a JVM that supports crack, it will break. Mm -hmm. So the IDE will say, eh, don't know the, the packages. So we created the, this library called org.crack. Mm -hmm. You can add it as a dependency. Mm -hmm. And then this library will figure out if it runs on a JVM that supports crack. Mm -hmm. And if it does, then it will call the resource interfaces. If not, it will just do nothing. Ah, cool. And you can code on Windows and Mac. And once you deploy on a Linux system with crack, then it will use it. Mm -hmm. So if not, it won't fail. It will just start normally. Okay. So this is, uh, and this is the one that was implemented by, um, by Spring Boot also. And also you even... Uh, the IBM guys use it in Open Liberty, which is mm -hmm. their application server, mm -hmm. and they use it um, with Instant On. They use the org.crap to have the same API yeah. internal. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to have just one interface everywhere, right? And then, yeah, and in, this is uh, if you search for OpenJDK crack, you will find the library. This is also what I used. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't it, knew that it was by created by Azul. I thought this is um, I don't know who created it, but uh, yeah, yeah, we did that. So if you go to GitHub uh, GitHub slash crack. There you will find all the stuff. We have examples there. The org.crack library is there. And, and so who was the driver behind Crack? Uh, was Azul? Was the, yeah, um... yeah, it's okay. Azul. So we created that. I think it started three years back. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, first of all, it was just an idea. Can we do that? And then we figured out, we did some tests and it worked out quite well. And so um, then we decided to, yes, let, let's make an open JDK project out of it. So that means it's for free. You don't have to pay for Crack. Mm -hmm. Even if you use the Zulu build, then you get it for okay. free. Now, Prime. 
which was right. Zinc. So if I if I don't down, download Zulu rather than Core, I would like to download Prime. What's mm -hmm. the name of the thing? Is it Zinc or Prime? If I have to download something, if you download, then it's Prime. Mm -hmm. And if you if you take a look at the at the JVM type Java version, it will tell you Zinc. Okay, so <laughs> but it I, is Prime. That's the the name. package is Prime. So yeah. what I get then? I get uh, OpenJDK with replaced compiler, right? Garbage collector. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what you get. And then, you, and you also have the ability to enable um, ready now if you like. And there's there will be support for crack. It's not in there yet. And also, this Azure vulnerability detection is in there, so you can also use it. With yeah. Prime. But yeah. compiler is confusion. We we are not speaking about Java C compiler. We're speaking no. the thing which com which picks the bytecode and then uh, does some optimizations to translation yeah. to machine code. So this is like the, the JIT compiler. The JIT compiler, the entire thing, the artificial AI almost, right? This is actually, the hotspot was, it was not st high-level statistics, which is nothing else yeah. than AI actually, right? It's it's really interesting, um, the, all the optimizations. Um, I mean, you can read for hours in, in these kind of things. It's, yeah. it's amazing what the people are able to do. So I'm, I really have the biggest respect for yeah. the for the compiler people because yeah. they really do amazing things. Yeah. Yeah, but because they, they 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 have assumptions, they optimize something and then reject the optimizations. It is back and forth, and um, yeah, and and there are, and now you know with the project laden, uh, and with, they they will be able to you know to do some. You can even decide when the optimization happens at the yeah. beginning, you know, to optimize the throughput, or later to optimize the startup. So this is actually. This is a uh, high tech, right? So I would say this is a really cool technology. What happens in Java and is somehow it is. invisible. From outside, which is a bit and also unknown to many people, <clears throat> which is interesting. I mean, you don't have to know it. To be honest, um, you shouldn't know have to know how it works under the hood to 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 code it. But it helps a lot when you when you write code that should be performant or you have memory restrictions. It's good to know how it works because yeah, then this you is, optimize yeah. the code in the right way. But if you have you know in the garage multiple cars, right? You have to decide whether you go to racetrack or just you know to to uh, to do some shopping. I mean, this is exactly the same. You know, if I I can I can drive, right? So, but uh, now I have to decide uh, what what I'm optimizing for, right? So, exactly, exactly. But but I figured out that many people don't don't even change the garbage collector, so they just use the default settings. Because it was. This is also what I do. If there is no yeah. requirement on my server, I'm too lazy. It should just run. Yeah. Yeah. On my CLI, I, no, you have no flags. I don't like to see them. I'm interested yeah. in the baseline performance. I totally agree. If, if this is for the standard use case, makes yeah. sense. But and then you should measure, right? You say, okay, now in production. So if yeah. we optimize here, how much yeah. can we save? Exactly. And, and what I tell management, my product owners, whoever, always, I say, look, um, this is your job, right? I can spend now two days fiddling with it, or you say it's not worth. So we go, yeah. with, so we will lose this probably this amount of money, and there's no optimization. It's also a business decision, actually. How yeah. much should we spend with optimization, and yeah. what is the gain at the end, right? I was surprised that not many companies, or it, at least it seems like the feedback that I get, it's it's not many companies really care about this kind of things. It's like, yeah, we just use the standard, always. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, if it works for you, it's fine. But maybe you should check if you can get faster and then save some money, right? And yeah. So it could make sense. It depends on the on the use cases, not for everyone, mm -hmm. but for some people it makes sense. So, for example, there's this this one garbage collector, which is Epsilon, right? Mm -hmm. Which is no garbage collector, mm -hmm. so it doesn't do any garbage collection. Mm -hmm. And if you know exactly the amount of money that your application or service needs, 
then you can run it without any garbage collection. Well, I thought already about in my serverless case, right? Because yeah, if, if you know it, then yeah. this could be really good, right? Yeah. So it depends. But this is first you have to know that this stuff exists. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what people sometimes don't even know. They just say, oh, yeah, there's garbage collection in Java. Okay. Uh, oh, there are different garbage collectors. Oh, I never heard of it. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, what I see quite often, yeah. So the prime is the real product, and uh, what I can <clears throat> optimize right now is we um, there is the ready now. What I understood is uh, it optimizes upfront. It knows it learns in advance just mm-hmm. by compiling, and then we get the peak performance immediately. Yes, and combining with crack, we get the peak performance really immediately because then it loads everything from an image. Right now, it has to compile, and then the uh, exactly. optimization kicks in. Yeah, and then we have also this uh, so-called cloud native optimizer. Mm-hmm. So that's like. If you let, let's say you have a, a service environment where you have microservices, for example, and you would like to, you need to scale out, right? Mm-hmm. Quite often, then the problem is that every service comes with a JVM, mm-hmm. and every service has to go through interpretation C1, C2, and mm-hmm. so on, and do all this stuff. So just imagine you put the compiler, which is very fast, which is prime, you put it in a in a Kubernetes cluster in the cloud and give it some scalability with lots of CPUs and memory if needed. So now you start your service. First time you start it, the service, instead of compiling locally, it calls the compiler that is in the cloud and said, do you have the compiled method for this, for this or the, the compiled code for this method? If it is the case, it will directly get back the compiled code, mm-hmm. so the highest optimized code. If not, it will do the compilation and keep it in the code cache in the cluster. So that means when, when you scale out a service, then it might be for the first service might be slow. The next time you call it, it, you will directly get the compiled code back instead of compiling locally. And that can really help by scaling out. It can be really fast. And as we already uh, saw that uh, IO within a cluster is not really a problem in the no. cloud. So it's not the problem to ask the, the cluster for the compiled code. Uh, it, it's quite fast. It so would the, run in your account locally in your cloud. Yeah. Not talk to Azul outside the cloud. No, it's it's in, in your own cloud. You can deploy it in your own cloud environment and then use it there. Because what you could also do, right? Because uh, this is a little bit privacy problematic, but what you could do, you could have a central instance and say, okay, for Cassandra workloads, we find out that this optimization could be interesting. Mm-hmm. And you can learn, you know, because uh, the compilers could say, okay, for this method combination, I found this out, report mm-hmm. to your mothership. Mothership says, okay, I learned from that. And the next time I already know, then you can pick this. But this is a little yeah. bit problematic because yeah, that, that's a security thing. <laughs> yeah, because the, the, the enterprises could but you could do this for, for open source projects and learn from them, right? You could yeah, yeah, have your own it, cluster, just run it and you know gain experience just by running your uh, toy workloads and learn over time. This yeah. would be interesting uh, AI project, right? Yeah, that's true. That, that that's uh, that's an interesting idea to do that. So that would be possible, of course. I mean, because you just have to and, and this happens in principle because the compiler will tailor the optimizations mm-hmm. for the workload, right? Mm-hmm. And then we'll keep it in their code cache and the cluster will keep it all the time. So this is like the, the memory, the brain of the yeah. all the AVMs is the, the, the cluster compiler. And then you can just talk to this guy and, and he will give you back the code mm-hmm. and will also further optimize. So if the, if the workload changes, the compiler will also adjust. This is the whole beauty of JIT compilation, right? So the, it's more dynamic. So it's not this AOT compiled code, which is... You compile once and run forever, but you can compile it every time and optimize it further. So, mm-hmm. which is the big difference here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is the 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 thing that we didn't talk about. This is, the, but then I think we covered all of the features in in Prime, yeah, cool. which is more. Uh, yeah, I think that that's it. <laughs> <laughs>
it's the whole Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, uh, interesting uh, background, right? Started with hardware, and now we yeah. covered all the software, you know, uh, <laughs> equivalents of the Vega back then, you know, yeah, Vega exactly. 1 and Vega 3. Cool, we covered everything. Get it? Yes, I think so. Perfect. It was um, it was nice, you know, to cover uh, what actually what you can do uh, beyond the standard, right? Because we always yeah, talk about uh, JDK and standards, but this everything is nice. But if you can save money or uh, CO2 or whatever you like to save, I mean, you can leave the standards because in the worst possible case, you will fall back to the baseline. And then you can also, this is actually absolutely, I would say, fair business, you know, proposition that you can say, okay, you can just uh, stick with Java and you do a little bit more. This is proprietary, but you will save money. And it's still TCK, so that means you can really drop in, replace uh, existing OpenJDK distribution with Prime. Mm -hmm. Even if we have this additional compiler and garbage collector, it won't break the TCK. So that means it's fully compliant to OpenJDK stuff. Mm -hmm. So you, you won't really run into problems like, oh, you have this other compiler, but it can't compile this code. So mm -hmm. it, it, this, is, this is for sure that you can do that, which is also quite helpful. Yeah, cool. So it was an, a nice chat again. What? Yes, <laughs> it was. <laughs> where people can find it? So, um, Azul Systems, Azul.com, I think, right? This is where. Azul.com, yes, exactly. And they should search for Core and Prime, and there's a product already sorted, so you will find yeah, all the products we talked about today. Yes, exactly. It's in the upper left corner. You will find everything that we do. And you have a blog. This is Harmonic Code, right? With all these. Yes, but I didn't really block a lot recently. But still, <laughs> you will find, you know, some JavaFX UI and stuff like yeah. that. And it's mainly JavaFX stuff on there. And, and uh, you are Han Solo underscore on Twitter or X yep. and Han yep. Solo without the underscore on Blue Sky. This is correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Well, it was a nice conversation. And I would like to yeah, invite you back you. to, if you have something, you know, from your talks or whatever, we can talk about best practices, for instance. Yeah, sure. Always nice. And um, yeah, and uh, I'm glad I... Uh, we covered uh, Azul. So yes, I think we covered all all that we have. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.